This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. One thing that I love asking guests on the show is what advice they would give to an up-and-coming designer. When I talked with Hannah Fletcher, a design program manager at Facebook, here's what she had to say. Uh, Ernest Hemingway said, the first draft of anything is shit. And I think that's some of the best design advice I've been given. And I've not just received that like through reading Hemingway, but just in general, like not being too tied to that, that first design and not being too precious with your work, but being willing to go into to critique with an open mind, hearing what people have to say, doing research, iterating, continuing to iterate, learning more, iterating more until the thing can really stand on its own. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp and Hover. More than 10 million businesses around the world use MailChimp to send email newsletters. No other email service provider is better when it comes to both functionality as well as customer service. Sign up for a free account today at MailChimp.com. When you have a great idea, you want to secure a great domain name for it, and that's where Hover comes in. Hover makes it super easy for you to not only find the domain name that you're looking for, but go ahead and get it up and running with no hassle and no heavy-handed upselling. So go ahead and grab yourself a domain today and use our promo code REVISIONPATH and you'll save 10% off your purchase. Have you heard about Revolve Conference? It's a conference that takes place October 26th through 28th in Charleston, South Carolina. And it's the place to be for talks on experience design, business, marketing, and how they're all related. So we're working with Revolve to offer Revision Path listeners a chance to win three free tickets to attend. Each ticket includes full access to all the sessions and activities throughout the conference, as well as breakfast and lunch. For more information on how you can win free tickets to the Revolve Conference, join our Slack community. There'll be a link in the show notes. And speaking of our Slack community, make sure you join so you can be a part of this month's AMA chat. That's going to take place on September 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern. Our special guest is Nakia Hansen, counsel at Odegaard Law. And she's going to be answering your questions about copyrights, trademarks, and protecting your design work online. You won't want to miss this, I guarantee you. Again, that's going to be September 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern in our Slack community. We've got a new review here on iTunes. This comes from NP at Branding Chicks. This is actually uh, Nikita M. Pope, who was last week's guest. And she left a great five-star review titled Awesome Content. I've been following Revision Path for a little while, and I am educated and inspired by every interview. Hearing about the career paths of people who are in my industry and look like me is invaluable. Thanks for giving us a voice. Thank you so much, Nikita, not just for coming on the show and telling us, you know, what you do with branding checks and all your work, but also for leaving that really great review. It really does mean a lot. Here's our Patreon fundraising campaign update. So we're still holding steady at 39 patrons. That's for a combined total of $267 per month. Again, a big thanks to all of you that have pledged your support and your appreciation for the show. 
If you like what we're doing here at Provision Path, if you enjoy the guests that we have on the show, if you've gotten any kind of value just from listening, please consider becoming a patron. You'll get some great perks like early access to future episodes, as well as free Revision Path goodies. Uh, Patreon has been adding a lot of new things lately, so I'm actually going to probably be rolling out some more you know, perks and things like that in the coming months, so you'll want to be a part of that. Pledge level started just $1 per month. It's a really great and affordable way to support the show on a regular basis. Again, that's at patreon.com forward slash revision path. Now let's get on to this week's interview. So this week I'm talking with designer, digital marketing strategist, and entrepreneur Tamala Huntley. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. I'm Tamala Huntley, and I am a digital marketing strategist. So kind of unpack that a little bit for people that are listening. What exactly does a digital marketing strategist do? I help in particular, my specific niche is coaches, like life and wellness coaches, servicepreneurs, people, what I call servicepreneurs, people who are in service-based businesses who want to use online marketing, just digital marketing, same thing, online marketing strategies to grow their business, to create time freedom and to create uh, more flexibility so that they can have more freedom in their businesses. And now your business, you run that 100% virtually, is that correct? Yep, 100%. What are some of the tools that you use to do that? And the reason I'm asking, because I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs that are listening that are trying to get where you are, where they're not so into the business, you know, like they don't have their hands in it so much. Everything just kind of runs virtually. So mm-hmm. what are some of the, the tools that you use? I typically try to keep things simple in all fronts in business and life. So I have a few favorites, which when it comes to doing business virtually, you have to have a way to have customer service or interact with your customers. So whether it be through email or like a 1-800 number, which I use um, Zendesk for creating tickets and for using the 1-800 number. So whenever somebody calls you the 1-800 number, it automatically creates a ticket so that it's a little bit more able, I mean, a little bit more um, organized to be able to see what order things came in and that kind of stuff. I use Entreport for the biggest part, which is uh, processing not processing, but the interface between accepting payments and the automation that goes on behind the scenes. So autoresponders, sales pages, some sales pages, that kind of stuff. I use Entreport for that. I use Evernote for almost everything (laughs) as far as taking notes, journaling, sending. If I do reports, I send like I'll type them up in, in Evernote and send them to my clients. I'll share the note with them. I use Gmail, of course, and Google business apps. So I'm very much a PC and Android and all of that. (laughs) I'm like, I'm not anti-Apple, but, you know, I don't really fool with Apple too much. And those are like kind of the big things. Those are the things that basically kind of run everything. And then, of course, you know, you have a merchant account and all that kind of stuff, PayPal and other merchant accounts that you use so that you can actually process the payments. A lot of my business is has design elements, so I use Photoshop and the Creative Suite. That's basically it. Okay. So you do some design also just with everything that you're doing as a digital marketing Right. Specialist. Like sometimes I have to make ads for like social media ads or have to make Facebook covers or I can, for myself, I do um, pretty much all my own graphics. But when it comes to customers, there are certain things that I do that are a part of like creating a whole funnel 
sales funnel or something like that, that I don't outsource. So it just kind of depends. I'm not a graphic designer, but there are some things that I feel like I have to know how to do and some things that I do mm-hmm. on my own. I got you. And now are you doing any work with any like content management systems also? I was using Hootsuite. Well, you mean in terms of like WordPress, not like social media. Um, yeah, like a, you know, WordPress. Yeah, so all my sites are built using WordPress. Okay. I started out a long time ago doing HTML coding and Cold Fusion. I taught myself mm-hmm. and did it by hand. And so when WordPress came along, it was like, hallelujah. <laughs> Cold Fusion, that's a relic yes. that takes me back. <laughs> <laughs> it was, re- you know, it was really close to HTML. So, you know, it was fairly easy to learn because it was so close to HTML with the tags and that kind of thing. And I used yeah, it yeah. to build um, an online, I had an online bookstore in 1998. And so it was the easiest way to build it back then and like connect it with Microsoft. What was it? like Microsoft Access or using the SQL databases so that I could yeah. store <coughs> all the products. I mean, there were a lot of pieces. <laughs> now it's kind of like it's just all done for you, pretty much. Yeah. So let's go back to 98 when you started your first business. What was that business? It was an online Christian bookstore. I had just graduated from college in like December of 97. I was on the five and a half year electrical engineering plan. <laughs> And I had just graduated from 97 and I heard a minister actually teach about entrepreneurship and having your own business and having something that you could, um, you know, grow and the whole thing about having your own and not always working for someone or working for someone forever. And so it was like a business development seminar type thing. And I decided then that I wanted a business. I didn't really know what I wanted it to be initially, but I love, love, love books. And so somehow it ended up turning into doing an an online Christian bookstore. And now for people that are listening that might not have been around in 98 or in those like late 90s days, kind of describe to them what the internet was like. What was the web like back then? I'm sorry, say it one more time. For, For the people that are listening that might not have really gotten into the internet in those early days in the like late 90s, tell them what the internet was like. There definitely wasn't, you know, the whole social media thing where stories could travel in 0.3 seconds (laughs) and everybody knew everything about everybody else. Um, I think things were a lot more, as far as I can remember, a little clunkier, of course, a lot more um, manual. Like I was using, I don't remember the years, but I just remember using, you know, AOL with the You Got Mail and all that kind of stuff. So definitely not advanced, but when that's all that you have, you know, it works and you figure out how to work it. So especially doing website, everything that I did back then was, it was like hand coded. Like you open up a notepad and you type in your HTML code and then you upload it and then you refresh to test it to see if your changes were good. And it's kind of like a back and forth process until you get it right. Yeah. I remember though, I still use notepad. Well, I use notepad plus now, but yeah, I, I still I, use, you I know, know, notepad is still my go-to also. Like I prefer, even when I use WordPress, I highly ever mm-hmm. use the visual editor. I still prefer using my the own code. code. Yeah, I'm the same way. And I think for a lot of us that really kind of came of age of the internet 
during that time in like the mid to late nineties, mm-hmm. no, there was no treehouse. There, right. were, there were no there were no schools that were really teaching this because there was no curriculum built around. A lot of what we did was I don't want to call it hacking, but it was really kind of reverse engineering pages and trying to see what worked. You know, right. it was a well, lot you, of trial you know, you and went error. to Barnes and Noble and you bought a book. <laughs> right, right, absolutely. So stepping back just a little bit, because this is HBCU month, tell the people where you went to school. I went to Florida a University, the highest of seven hills in Tallahassee, Florida. <laughs> and you said you majored in electrical engineering. I did. My intention actually was to major, what I wanted to major in growing up was computer engineering. But then okay. I wanted to go to Florida a and electrical engineering was the closest thing that they had. And did you like the program? Like, what was your time like there? Um, you know, it was school. <laughs> I basically, our engineering building was separate because we shared it with Florida State. And so after probably my sophomore year, I think, barely went to campus because all of my classes were at the engineering building, which was not on campus. So it was, you know, it was school. It was work. It was I guess kind of a different culture or a different atmosphere at the engineering building than it was at on campus. Like kind of totally different. I thought you were going to say a different world. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a perfect fit, right? <laughs> that would have been perfect. Yeah, like like right after a different world kind of went off the air. Was your black college experience like that? Like what what a different world was like? Because I know for a lot of people that maybe have went to HBCUs, at some point in time, you've seen some episodes of A Different World Mm -hmm. and you've thought that's what the black college experience is like. That wasn't what my black college experience was like. But I mean, you sort of get an idea of that sense of familiarity and identity and and stuff like that. I mean, some of it was, I started out in the summer before my freshman year, they had a engineering program. And so some of the people that I met there like we actually stayed on campus in the dorms for I don't remember how long it was but it was during the summer so when we came back it was fortunate for us because we already knew people so you did Mm kind of have that camaraderie but while some of them were you know joining sororities and that kind of thing fraternities that wasn't really my thing so of course I met other people who I became friends with who some were mostly at the engineering building so Some of the experience, yes, like I did some things on campus. They would have, you know, step shows and that kind of stuff because I am a rhythmless nation, but I like to see other people dance and that kind of stuff. So, (laughs) you know, watching the uh, sororities when they come out, I'm I'm probably not using the right terminology, but, you know, when they go over. Yeah, Yeah. when they cross over. When they go over, they had different step shows. I wasn't really into going to the games and that kind of thing. I may have gone to one or two football games, which were homecoming games. So bad. Um, <laughs> but that's pretty much it. You were about your education. Yeah, pretty much. Get in, get out. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong. With I didn't want to phrase that question in a way to be uncomfortable or anything like that. Yeah, but no, not at all. I, yeah. Cause like my, my college experience was similar to that too. I mean, I went to, I, I don't I think you probably went to more football games than I did. I mean, I went to homecoming because, of course, they, you know, had stuff out on the, the parking lot and uh-huh. whatnot. And, and I mean, I would see things that they have around campus, but I was mostly I mean, I wasn't really there for a social experience. I was right. there to get my education. Exactly. So not to not to say that I was 
like a square or anything like that. I certainly was involved in other things on campus. But, right. It's kind of like, yeah. you, it's kind of like on the fringes, you know, you kind of pass through, you see it going on, but you kind of keep going and that kind of thing. Exactly. Exactly. So went to FAMU, you graduated. And then shortly after that, you kind of started your business. How did you transition from online Christian bookstore to what you're doing right now? Like, I know that's a, a big swath of time, but mm-hmm. what, Talk about some of the experiences that kind of got you to where you are now. Well, initially, when I, um, my last year at um, SAM, I had an internship at Texas Instruments, which is how I ended up working in the electrical engineering field anyway. And so after the internship, I basically had a job and I just, you know, came, moved to Texas, took the job, didn't know anybody and all that. And then I ended up staying in engineering for about seven years. At the same time, I had, my bookstore. And then I transitioned the bookstore online to a physical location. And Mm. so I had the physical location for, I think I may have only had it for a couple years. Long story short, I had a fire and I didn't recover after the fire. And people were probably like, a fire at a bookstore? (laughs) I had these scented candles, wanted the people to be able to smell them, left one Saturday and left them burning, was sitting in church on Sunday. Oh no. She came and said, fire department at your store and you need to go (laughs) and I was one of my friends so (laughs) wow so I didn't come back from that however all this time like while I had built when I first built my store then I had friends who wanted you know they saw that I did web design and so they saw I mean they wanted me to do projects for them and so it kind of grew out of that strictly doing web design But of course, because I was an entrepreneur and I had this online bookstore first and I had the physical bookstore, I studied marketing voraciously. And before I left engineering, I was actually doing technical marketing. So it kind of just evolved into doing websites as a business after the bookstore kind of went away, doing websites as a business and then um, some graphic design stuff in there and, and then eventually to marketing, consulting, and online marketing. And over the years, like, it's looked so different so many times because, you know, you grow as your business grows or your business grows as you grow. And you kind of define who you want to serve and, you know, how you want to serve them. You figure out the things that you hate to do and the things that you like to do and you kind of eliminate, hopefully, the things that you hate. So it's evolved, but that's kind of where it started. So with what you're doing right now, kind of walk me through how do you approach um, a new project or a new client? Let's let's say that when when someone's interested in working with you, how does that process look? So typically I get a lot of business from either referrals or sometimes I'll run like Facebook ads or just, you know, using my Facebook page to share stuff. I kind of narrowed it down from having like a gazillion social media profiles to two main ones that I focus on because, again, I like things simple. And, you know, someone may submit a request through my website that they want to discuss how they can um, grow their business or they want a website or they were referred from so-and-so and they want a website and they want to market their business. And from there, I'll send, like, a discovery questionnaire. Actually, a part of the process is it used to be more automated than it is now because I actually take on less projects that are more detailed and have more moving parts, but they'll fill out like a discovery questionnaire so that I can find out, you know, more so what they have 
what assets they may have already that we could use, what they need, who they're trying to serve, and all that kind of stuff, like their messaging and more so who they are. Like, I'm not just trying to just, you know, take money from people to do a service and be done. If it's going to work, I need to know, you know, like who they are, who they serve and, and what they're trying to do, what their vision is. And so they do the discovery questionnaire. We get on the phone. We talk about it, talk about where they want to grow to and that kind of thing, how versed or non-versed they are. Online marketing, a lot of my clients are solely done for you. Like they have an idea about something, but they don't want to be bothered with it. They don't want to do it. And so I try to have an element of education in there just to explain to them some things of why I choose the path that I would choose for them, just so that they know so that if they have questions later, if I'm not around, they have an understanding. And then after the discovery questionnaire, after we talk, then I'll come up with a plan for them and how I think we can market their business. I'll give them some ideas, processes and things that have worked in the past or for other clients or that are just, you know, standard marketing things that I've been doing for years. And Mm -hmm. when we come up with a game plan and then we go about implementing the game plan and the way that I do it is either they can hire me to implement their plan or they can take what I give them and they can implement it themselves or hire someone else. It's totally up to them. Okay. So it's good that you kind of give them that option and they don't necessarily have to, to work with you. They can just, you know, sort of consult with you, I guess, in a way. Right. Because the initial, once we get past like an initial conversation, if I do, if they do decide that they want me to come up with, I call it a two page marketing plan. I mean, there's a cost associated with it. Like that part is not free. And so um, they pay for that part. And then if they decide to go further, then I give them an estimate for what the entire implementation will cost. And then we kind of go from there. And now what are kind of the best type of clients for you? I think at the top of the show, you said, I don't even remember what it was, but you said some kind of entrepreneur, uh, singlepreneur, I think is what you No, uh, I call it a servicepreneur. Which servicepreneur, is that's what it is. Yeah. Um, people who have service-based businesses or like coaches who you know, they just want more, they may like what they do and they may enjoy their work, but they also want more flexibility and time freedom. And so I try to give them uh, or implement for them online marketing strategies and automation that allows them to have more freedom in their business. Gotcha. Okay. Speaking of freedom, in your bio, you mentioned that, you know, your life's mission is freedom and philanthropy. Mm -hmm. And I I get a sense now why freedom. I (laughs) I totally do. I mean, you automate these processes. It just gives you more time. And I think one of the things that's great about what you do is that you're sort of giving, you're you're letting them buy their time back in a way. Mm -hmm. Like you're setting up these systems and processes so they can have more time to do what they love. Right. Why is philanthropy part of that? Because for me, I don't want my life to only be about me. <laughs> I I just have a heart or a desire to be able to serve or help other people. And the philanthropy part, because it's a part of my bigger vision, there's like a larger scale that I intend and want to do it on. You know, you go from level to level. So I've always kind of been in a place where I give to different charities and even just being able to help some organizations with their technology. For example, I have um, 
a client who I saw her, my sister actually showed me her website and I was so taken by her mission because she helped kids in impoverished neighborhoods to have access to technology and to learn um, different computer skills. And her website, it wasn't good. And so I just kind of reached out to her and let her know that I wanted to help her, give her a new website and that kind of thing. So just in different ways, having an effect, you know, that reaches more than you or that reaches more people even after you're gone. What's something important that you know now through your 20 years of business? What's something important you know now that you didn't learn back in school? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) 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 You know, it's not necessarily, it's kind of life related, just in general, that we can spend so much time chasing other people's ideas of success and what success is. Like when I went to school, it was go in computer engineering because you like computers and it pays well. You know, you want a job that's going to pay you well. And then after being in engineering and after doing, you know, other jobs, especially engineering, I realized probably within my first year of actually working, I hate this. And I do not want to do this forever. Like, this sucks. So, you know, not chasing other people's ideas of success and what and, and really defining for yourself you know, what success means to you, what makes you happy, what, what makes you want to get up in the morning, you know, everybody kind of tosses around this whole six figure business thing. And, you know, courses on how to make a six figure this and a, and a six figure that and all of this. And it's like, does killing yourself to make six figures make you happy? Like the first time that I had a $10,000 month in my business, I was like, but I had to kill myself to do it, you know, and for me, that's not me being successful. And so, you know, just kind of having your own definition of what success is and going after that and being okay with being yourself in your business. You know, I'm not a, I'm a very casual person. I'm not, you're not going to find me in suits and, you know, I wear flops pretty much every day. And there are people who would think that's unprofessional or people who will not be, you know, my ideal client because of that. And I'm so okay with that. I have a saying that all money's not good money because all money's not good money for me. So, you know, you just got to kind of have to be really, really secure in who you are, who you serve, what you provide to them, the value that you bring, how you want to deliver that value in terms of creating a business around your life and how you want to live your life and the things that are important. There was a time when I was working full time where all of my friends were neglected, you know, like I never called them. I never saw them because I was so caught up in this other world that was surrounded by work. And then when that went away, these same people were still there. And after that, I kind of just promised myself that I would never let myself create a life around work or a life around business that I would do the opposite. And so I just kind of nobody tells you that you can have business in a way that is authentic and real for you and still be successful. What would you say has kind of been instrumental to you getting to that point? Some mistakes, um, trial and error, clients who were so not my ideal match, taking on work that I hated and being resentful about having to do it and feeling like I had given up my choice. And then just kind of come into the realization that I had, 
it was my choice to make and I had given it up and I didn't have to. Seeing other business owners who operate in a similar fashion to let me know that, hey, it is possible. You know, it is possible to have a business that operates this way. And if some people don't prefer the way that I do business, it's okay. Cause you know, like when you're kind of, when you're first starting now, it's like, I got to pay bills, <laughs> yeah. you know? So I'm going to take on any and everybody. And mm-hmm. it's always, you know, hindsight is always 2020 and you can always tell people the way you start is the way you finish, but it's hard to see that when you're first starting. Like when I was first starting, if somebody had told me don't take on every project just because, you know, you want the money, I probably wouldn't have listened because I felt like I needed the money. Well, hindsight I have come to realize that when you are filling your queue, your project queue with projects that you don't like, you have no room for the projects that you want. You have no room for your ideal clients because you're being the life is being sucked out of you by the client who you don't want. But it's just hard to see that when you're first starting. And like you said, all money is not good money <laughs> at all, <laughs> at all. And, you know, you got to have processes and stuff in place so that it allows you to to make your business what you want. Like coming to the revelation that this is my business. I can say no if I want. Yeah. Or I can say this is my process and this is how I do things if I want. Like it's your business. You can run it how you want. (laughs) And it just kind of takes some trial and error and going through some different, you know, scenarios and experiences in order to to really, really understand that. So is that what you can say? I guess you've really learned about yourself during that time that you can really assert yourself because it is your business. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I can be myself and I can have the processes and stuff that I want that I can assert in my business because it's mine. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Walk me, what's a typical day like for you? I mean, you've you've got these processes and things in play and what's an average day for Tamla? Because I started taking on less and less actual smaller web design projects and I only really more so take on complete sales funnel build out. But typically I will kind of plan out what I need to do for the next day. I'll plan it out the day before and just kind of like a, you know, to-do list and I'll have like, the three main things that I want to finish that day, like three things that I have to get done that day. And then the next day I'll just kind of start on those things and I'll, you know, do the most important one or the one that is to be finished first. I'll just kind of dig in and start that. And over the years, <laughs> it's weird because my ability to work in longer stints, I guess, it gets shorter and shorter. And so mm-hmm. I may work for an hour and then I got to move around. I got to go do something, uh, whether it's just go, you know, read a book or go find some lunch or, you know, something like that. Yeah. I got to move around. And then I come back to the list. I try to sometimes, especially like if I'm coding, then, you know, when we sit down to code, like we're not moving. Right. <laughs> you know, we're not moving until it's like exactly how it needs to be. So on those days, I kind of like try to set timers or something to remind myself to get up and move around because it'll be like I'll sit down and then it'll be five o'clock before I look up and move again. And I'm like, oh, my God, the whole day is gone. But I just typically kind of try to just write things out. My goal is to I want to live at the beach. 
so that I can take breaks and kind of go down to the beach. So that's coming. <laughs> but that's not a part of my day just yet. Okay. Speaking of that, you know, went back and listened to some some other interviews that you've done. And there was this 2015 interview that you did with Nomadtopia. Mm-hmm. You had just taken your first international trip to Costa Rica. And before we started recording, you know, today, you told me you lived in Costa Rica kind of for six months. Mm-hmm. What was that experience like for you? It wasn't what I expected. <laughs> when I originally decided to go to Costa Rica, I don't even know how I chose Costa Rica as the place that I wanted to go. I don't remember when I chose it. I just know that once I started doing research and saw that it was the happiest, you know, rated the happiest country on earth and all this kind of stuff, I was like, okay, hey, those are my kind of people. So, <laughs> I, you know, I decided that that's where I wanted to go. And originally, my original plan was to, you know, go there, apply for residency, like, you know, actually live there and all this stuff. And then probably two or three months or so before I was supposed to go, because I kind of had planned it. I had been planning or wanting. I had been wanting. I won't say planning because I wasn't doing anything. I had been wanting to go probably for over a year. And then one day I just decided you can do the same thing there that you're doing here buy the ticket. (laughs) And so when my nerves kind of started to get the best of me, I just went online and bought a one-way ticket. And I said, okay, that's done. Not backing out. (laughs) But my original intention was to, you know, be a resident, to actually live there. And then I decided before that, actually, I don't want to live there. I kind of want to visit different places. Now, I don't know how long I'll stay in Costa Rica. Just kind of do what kind of feels right. And Mm -hmm. so then I went there and I actually met Amy, the one who does the Nomadtopia, I met her kind of on a fluke while I was in Costa Rica. She was passing through. I was in her Facebook group and she said she was going to be there. And I think I just kind of conversed either there or on Instagram or something like that. And then we ended up meeting up because she was actually staying in an Airbnb that was like right down the street from where I was staying. But what I realized while I was there is that even though I am an introvert and I tend to like to be by myself, being in another country where you don't speak the language and you are an introvert, so you're not intentionally trying to go out and meet a bunch of people, pretty isolated and kind of lonely. And so I kind of decided, okay, I have to do this a different way. So at the time that I was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do next or where I wanted to, to go next, I had kind of thought about going to Mexico, but a more expat populated area. My sister ended up having surgery for cancer. And so I ended up leaving Costa Rica and going back to Florida to be there with her and kind of stayed there for probably too long, (laughs) which brings me to now. I'm still trying to figure out where I want to go next. I haven't decided. So knowing that part about yourself that you kind of want to be in a place where you, you know, don't necessarily have to interact with folks. If you, thought about some locations or narrowed down some places? Mexico is still on my list. <laughs> Clearly you can tell that it's all like places that are that have beaches. And the other thing is when I first went to Costa Rica, my intention was to live at the beach. And it kind of didn't it didn't work out that way because when I visited some of the beaches, I realized that I did not want to live in those areas. And so I ended up still staying in the city because the temperatures are more friendly to my personality. <laughs> and I just decided to stay there and go visit the other areas that I wanted to, to visit. So you can kind of tell the trend is places that have really nice beaches and, you know, where you can kind of experience the whole 
internet lifestyle where people always are posting their laptops and pictures with their feet up and that kind of stuff. So I don't know yet. I'm still looking at some part of Mexico, but somewhere where, you know, I don't have to know Spanish in order to actually survive. (laughs) Because in Costa Rica, you know, ordering food was a challenge. I mean, pretty much everything. Fortunately, I did an Airbnb. So fortunately, the people who owned the Airbnb became my friends. I actually just got a message from her the other day saying, when are you coming back? (laughs) (laughs) So that was good. Okay. I've heard good things about Nicaragua. I know that's kind of right in the same geographic area. So maybe that same language barrier might exist. But I've heard I've heard really great things about Nicaragua. It's so interesting that whole like, I, I mean, I know, like you said, you wanted your kind of goal is that you want to live by the beach, so you can be able to take, you know, breaks and go to the beach and whatnot. And I feel like that whole beachy metaphor is something that I see a lot of um, servicepreneurs or, or information marketing people kind of put that out there. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you can be on the beach in Bali and whatnot. And it's always so weird for me because, like, I don't like the beach that much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what, they, what a lot of people won't tell you, though, is that, like, I mean, some people probably are. But at some point, you know, like you're not at the beach all the time, you know, you still got to work and all this kind of stuff. And it's so funny because I was born and raised in Florida and I had like I never really appreciated the beach. As a matter of fact, I didn't like it. I preferred, you know, pools over the beach. Mm -hmm. And then I moved to Houston for 15 years and then I went back to Florida and it was like, I don't know what happened. It's like I just saw it totally differently. And I have a whole different appreciation for it. I don't know why. I don't know what happened. I don't know what the change was. I don't know if it was being landlocked for 15 years. I don't know. Because, you know. (laughs) I think, you know, vacation, resort. I don't necessarily Mm -hmm. think of that as an everyday sort of thing. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that that's a big thing that, you know, people put forth. Like, you can, you know code from the beat on Bali or, or Bora Bora or whatever. Right. I'm like, I'm taking my laptop to the beach. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it's not even like for me, it's not even it's weird because I rarely actually get in and I, you know, it's the sound, it's the atmosphere, it's the sound of the ocean, it's the the smell like of the air. I don't know if it has this whole calming and kind of like addictive effects for me, but it's not the actual swimming and all that kind of stuff i know so weird no it's not it's not a weird thing i mean you know you i mean like i grew up in country and so like we didn't have i mean didn't have any beaches we had (laughs) you know maybe pools or stuff like that i mean i eventually ended up going to the beach when i got older and i moved away from from alabama but i mean you know beach is nice it's not for me it's sort of like what you said about kind of finding what success is on your own terms exactly the beach ain't it for me (laughs) For me, it would be the ability to travel where I want, when I want. Right. And I know that's, you know, pretty vague, but like, say, for example, I'm here now and I'm thinking I want to go to Denver for two weeks Mm -hmm. and I can find a hotel or Airbnb, Mm -hmm. buy the ticket and go. And my business does not suffer. Exactly. At all. Exactly. Like to me, that's my definition of success. That's what I mean by freedom. When Mm -hmm. I say freedom, I mean 
you know, freedom to be able to do what you want. You know, location independence for everybody is not the same. You know, everybody doesn't want to travel. Like, it's weird. (laughs) I mean, I'm like, I am a box of contradictions because while I do like to, I want to go to different places, I'm the type of person, I don't like traveling all the time. Like, you'll never Mm -hmm. find me hopping planes every other week and that kind of stuff. I will go somewhere. I want to stay a while, you know, and then I leave. But it's different. You know, everybody has their own ideas. Some people, location independence may just be staying home with their family, you know, like being able to do that and being able to still do their work. And so that's what I mean by freedom. Exactly. And it's really finding out what that level of success is on your term. Like now, as I get older, you know, it's important for me to be close to my family Mm -hmm. and be able to pick up and go to where they are at a moment's notice right. if something happens. Exactly. Like that's important for me. Exactly. And if I'm, you know, halfway around the, the world on a beach in Vietnam, that ain't gonna happen. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I totally, I get that. I understand that. Who are kind of some of the other people in your space that you admire? Any any mentors or anything like that that have helped you out over the years? You know what's funny is way back when I was doing online marketing with the bookstore in 1998, and I always tell the story, I was studying, you know, Frank Kern. I was studying... Ryan Dice, back when he had his whole, you know, he was just talking about the napkin project and anybody who knows Ryan Dice will know what that is. Allie Brown, when she was just the easing queen. And what's funny or what's odd is that, you know, we are talking about HBCUs and, you know, technology and that kind of thing. And if there were not a lot of people who looked like us that I knew of who were doing you know, online marketing. And I just didn't know them. Not saying that they weren't there. I didn't know them. And so those are people that I um, followed. And then full circle, last year, I became a certified partner in Ryan Dykes' company, Digital Marketer. So he does this thing where he has certified partners who they teach their system of creating sales funnels and all that kind of stuff in digital marketing. And you become a certified partner, you learn their system, you learn their processes, and that's kind of what you implement when you take on clients and that kind of stuff. So anyway, the the point of the story is way back then I was studying his napkin project. And then years later, I ended up being a certified partner with his company. And it was just kind of so like, you know, I was like geeking out over it just because you know it was just a geeky thing but those are some of the people that I even still follow because a lot of the stuff that they did back then they still do (laughs) you know the the Mm -hmm. basics and the foundational things still work now you have you know there's people like Lloyd Irvin Vicky Irvin um there's so many people that you can kind of get overwhelmed trying to follow so many different people so you kind of just have to to me Oh, yes. Like Jim Rohn says, you pick a voice of value, you stay a while. You pick another voice of value, you stay a while. So you kind of just narrow it down to people who are are doing what you want and you kind Mm -hmm. of implement what they're teaching because you can get so caught up trying to implement a gazillion things at the same time. Like everybody's live streaming, everybody's doing webinars, everybody's doing X, Y, Z, and then you end up, you know, doing all this stuff and not really accomplishing anything. And be more confused. <laughs> yeah, I, I told Karanda the same thing in, in the interview I did with her. It was like it was a point in my business where I was listening to what so many other people were mm-hmm. talking about and doing and implementing. And like it just didn't fit. None of it really kind of it was too much. It was like mm-hmm. from a fire hose. None of it was filtering through to where I felt like I was using any of it because right. I was just hearing what other people were saying. Exactly. But I like that idea 
of picking a voice of value and sticking with it for a while. That's a really good piece of advice. And, you know, my business really started to change because I can do a lot of things. You know, we're techie people. I can do yeah. a lot of things. I can, you know, put your book on Amazon Kindle because I've done it before. I've done it for myself. I can, you know, I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Pretty much everything that's related to online business or some type of way, you know, I can do it. But mm-hmm. doesn't mean I should be doing it. And so I took a training probably been, I think it was like maybe 2011. I took a training from Sandy Krakowski. And one of the key things that I took away from the whole training, it was a training for WordPress experts. And basically what she was going to do is, you know, she would train your assistants, train you how to market yourself as a WordPress expert. And because she had people asking her, you know, if she knew any service providers all the time. And so she wanted to create this database of people and that kind of thing. Anyway, the biggest thing that I took from that whole training was she taught that you have to focus Like, don't be a jack or a jill of all trades. Pick an area that you're going to become an expert in and focus. And I know it to be true for my own experience that once I decided to focus on, okay, I'm I'm a WordPress expert. I focus on building, customizing WordPress websites. I can hack the heck out of a theme or I can... You know, I've kind of grown to the point where I can do things um, from scratch now. But back then, I would take a theme, like, say, for example, a studio press theme that was already done. And then I would totally customize it to where it looked nothing like what you started with. And so that's what I focused on. I had a thing called Tamala Fix My Site. And so, you know, if people had WordPress sites where there were little things that weren't working right or things that they wanted to change or maybe they wanted to add a header because this was kind of around the time when the whole opt-in form in the header was taken off. And so that became something that I did a lot for people. And so I really, truly just focused on being a WordPress customization expert and my business really started to grow. And from there, you know, it kind of just kept evolving. But it was focused. The key was focused. Key was focused. I I get that. Is there anything in particular that you're really excited about at the moment with your business? I am excited about the next level of growth that that I'm going to. I have I'm developing my own framework. You know what they call your your signature process that I'm going to use for um, whether I'm doing consulting, whether I'm creating my training courses or actually doing implementation projects for people, which are the three areas that I focus on. And so all kind of centered around my main focus, which is creating, helping people create freedom and time freedom and flexibility. And so getting that finalized and getting some things created around it so that I can start marketing it and implementing it and and that kind of thing. So that's what I'm excited about. What keeps you inspired? I love all things internet marketing. And so I can spend hours, you know, looking at web pages. People have opt-in pages, landing pages, often hours just looking at them, looking at what what they did, looking at what they wrote. So I can spend hours doing that kind of stuff and just being inspired by all the things that other people are doing, not in a way of like, I need to do that in my business or I need to implement that and, you know, getting off track, but just inspired by other people's creativity and how this whole inter like the internet is there's so much further 
yeah. to go and just kind of being inspired by what is and what's to come. What do your clients love about you? I know that's probably a tough question <laughs> to answer, but I'm, I'm just curious. Like I know, you know, business owners have testimonials and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, but what do you think, you know, keeps your clients coming back to you? <clears throat> I think more than anything, it's one, one that I know what I'm doing. Like I don't take on projects or I don't, pretend that I can do something that I can't do. So I think when they have these crises or these problems or these things that they need done, I know how to do it. And so, you know, meeting that need, but also just kind of being somebody that they can, like I said, I'm not a, I'm super casual. And so it's kind of like just having a conversation with someone that they know and taking the time to educate them on certain things as much as they want to be educated on it and knowing how the processes work, trying to empower them in their businesses, especially when it comes to tech stuff for non-techies, because a lot of times people don't know, you know, yeah, don't let your web guy buy your domain name in his name. You know, don't let your designer keep all of your source files, not give you your, like just kind of, you know, stuff, the stuff that is, so small, you know, small detail that matter and make a big impact. What do you think you would be doing now if, if you never started that bookstore in, in after you graduated? Do you think you'd still be like an engineer? Or what do you think you'd do? I'm pretty sure that I would not be an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I would still be doing something related to computers, if not online. My first computer was an Apple IIe when I was 13. And so the love of, you know, computers and technology has always been there. I think for engineering, it was, I don't necessarily care how this microcontroller makes this washing machine work. I just care that this washing machine is sweet. It can do this, 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 and this, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So I think it would still be doing something related to technology and probably online business. I don't know. Definitely not engineering, though. Definitely not engineering. No. I'm yeah, so miserable I mean, I, doing engineering. <laughs> <laughs> it's so interesting because, I, I mean, I got my degree in math, and I like math. I, well, let me take that back. I love math, but I couldn't see myself teaching math mm-hmm. or, like, being a mathematician or something mm-hmm. like that. Like, I, like, I really like math. I, I mean, people that come to my house, they see all my my math books and stuff. I like it. I liked it enough to go into it, which is probably like the the worst advice <laughs> that someone could do for college. Like I went to college for something that I really like to do. Mm-hmm. I didn't go to college thinking, Oh, I could get a job in this. I just really like math. Right. And that's kind of where I, where I ended up. So I, I, I get what you're saying. Like, I feel like now I've transitioned into design and doing all this other stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I'd still be doing, you know, like I honestly have never had a job that is directly related to my degree at wow. all. Never. I mean, it's a, it's a fallback. Like, you know, if, right. if all this internet stuff, you know, crashes and burns in five years, I could go be a elementary school teacher somewhere. Right. But, you know. My friend and I were actually talking about that the other day because um, one of her coworkers was talking about, how there's so many people, or she knew so many people who had engineering degrees who do nothing related to engineering. Like my friend has an electrical engineering degree and she does real estate. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's kind of like 
it's a good career to have. It looks good on your resume. You know, it's a good, it was a good lead in to what there you, know, you, you really want to do. And yeah. I think that engineering trains you in ways that are good for anything, you know, problem solving, mm-hmm. critical thinking. I approach, so, you know, I don't use engineering really except for the thinking, like the approach to projects. When I approach a project, I lay out all the pieces. What are all the pieces? What are all the um, the things that have to be considered? And then we kind of approach it step by step. Like everything has to be broken down into steps and phases. And that's engineering all the way. Yeah. You're able to extrapolate that knowledge that you have and use it for other things. Exactly. That's the same way it was for me with math. Like I tell people math teaches you how to think logically. Mm-hmm. Like it teaches you how to, cause like I can, God, there were so many proofs and things that I wrote over the years. Like I tell people it just teaches you how to think logically. It teaches you how to arrange things so they make sense. If you're a very strategic person, right. math is like the best thing for you to go into. Cause it's all about strategy and getting to the solution and like everything just, it, it just makes sense mm-hmm. in a way. And that's priceless. So, yeah. And that's, I mean, I've been able to use that with design. I've been able to use that with my writing. I've yep. been able to use that with, with other things. So I totally get where you're coming from there. Where do you see yourself in the next, like, five years? Like, you, where do you want your business to grow from here? That's a good question. <laughs> like if, if, you could, if you could wave a magic wand, what would you be doing? Where would you, <laughs> if would I could you... wave a magic wand, I would be waking yeah, let's up. Do that. I would be waking up at the beach every day. I would get on my computer. I would look at all of the sales that came in from my trainings and uh, my courses, and then I would maybe work on writing some additional courses, doing some emails to be able to, you know, communicate with my subscribers and the people who are my customers and future customers, and then kind of. Going to the beach and relaxing. <laughs> that's I think crazy. that's doable within five years. <clears throat> yeah, that's really my ideal day. It's coming. Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, Tamala, where can our audience find out more about you and, and find out about your work online? My website is TamalaHuntley.com. That's T like Tom, A-M-A-L-A-H-U-N-T-L-E-Y.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Tamala Huntley Biz and Twitter at Tamala M Huntley, I believe, on Twitter. <laughs> but if you go through my website, you can get to both of those. Sounds good. Well, Tamala Huntley, thank you again for taking time out of your day for really kind of sharing, you know, just a little bit of the behind the scenes about what you do. I think what also is really important, aside from just what you do, is kind of the reasoning behind why you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that every entrepreneur, whether you're in design or not, needs to sort of get in touch with like, what's the why? Because right. as you know, this whole entrepreneurship thing is a complete roller coaster. Yes. It's, it's <laughs> never smooth sailing. And so you need to be able to kind of know what stokes the home fires, exactly. like what lights the pilot light, so to speak. And so when you talk about freedom and philanthropy, those are, are two things which I think Certainly, I can I can just tell from everything that you've said, I can tell that those are the things that really get you up in the morning and make you, you know, strive and, and push forward to do the things that you want to do. So thank you again, Tamala, so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thoughts of love.
that's it for this week. Big thanks to Tamala Huntley and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Tamala and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks, of course, as always, to our sponsors, Facebook Design, MailChimp, and Hover. Facebook invests in design. They care deeply about how their design team might do their best work, and that manifests itself in a number of different ways, such as building tools like origami, sharing what they've learned on Medium, and by giving back to the design community. Learn more about Facebook Design at facebook.com forward slash design. More than 10 million businesses around the world use MailChimp to send email newsletters. The attitude may be playful, but their business is serious. Sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing your domain names. Search for a few keywords and Hover will show you the best available options across all the 400 plus domain extensions out there. Ready to get started? Save 10% off your first purchase by using our promo code REVISIONPATH at checkout. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro audio by Yellow Speaker. If you like this episode, please do me a huge favor. Leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. It only takes a minute or two. It really does help the show bump up in those podcast rankings for Design Podcast. And just like I did with Nikita's review, I'll read it right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and with the website, then visit us over at Patreon and become a patron. Just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge your support. Pledge level started just $1 per month and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Oh,